Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we're coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was, uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by Kyle Carr, but uh, we have a special guest this weekend sitting in for Riley Feldman, who alerted us that he had a a friend's miss, I believe, the night before. So hopefully he's in uh, all manners of recovering from some sort of glorious hangover. But we're we're really thrilled to be joined by Sean Eaton this week. Um, How are you doing, Sean? We'll let you kick it off. Doing good. Uh, Thankfully, it was not a friend's miss. That was uh, that was two weeks ago, and uh, that one I'm still recovering from. But uh, last night was a little more, a little more tame. Uh, in-laws, uh, good time. So uh, feeling good. Um, yeah, but uh, looking forward to kind of discussing what happened over the last week or so, and and all all topics books. So excited to get into it. Yeah, it was. It's been good. We threw a birthday party for Sterling yesterday. Um, it was a Mickey Mouse theme party, and when I say Mickey Mouse theme party, I mean everything was Mickey Mouse. We had Mickey Mouse decorations. Everyone had Mickey Mouse ears. He wore a Mickey Mouse shirt. Um, the balloons were red, black, and yellow. It, it was a fun time. He had a lot of fun. So that was kind of nice since we knew we couldn't throw an actual party. Well, I guess Christmas is his birthday, so we could throw a party, but. It'd be Christmas party and not his birthday, but yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Otherwise, eh, just one more week of excellent basketball, just best basketball you can watch. <laughs> I was going to say red, black, and yellow fit in per- perfectly with the um, Cavaliers color theme from last night. I know you were really specially attuned to that delightful game that we all paid really close attention to, um, but let, let's talk a bit about the Bucks week. I, I think we can't really talk about the week without talking about, in general, the the state of the league obviously all of you who are listening didn't, didn't want to ever have to hear us talk about COVID protocols ever again. Um, but unfortunately it's a, a fact of life. So this week after we all, we already knew that Wesley Matthews had entered the, uh, the health and safety protocols last week. And then this week Giannis enters into the health and safety protocols after the Boston game later, Dante DiVincenzo is alerted that he enters into it. Bobby Portis as well, after he plays in the, Indiana game. So it, it's clearly 
a big issue with the Milwaukee Bucks team to add on to the injuries to Chris Middleton. Uh, Shemi Ojale was out for most of this week, and then obviously Brooke Lopez. So the team is shorthanded, but it's it's really a broader issue across the league. I mean, the, the Bulls have had two games postponed. They have The Nets have, I think, 10 players in the health and safety protocols. The league is trying to propose different ways uh, per Baxter Holmes. There's a proposed plan by the league to allow teams to add uh, 10-day contracts that won't count against the tax or the cap. Uh, and that may even become a, a requirement after you have a second, third, and fourth case on your team of COVID, um, basically helping you satisfy the the hardship criteria. So the, the league is, is trying its hardest to try and make sure that games aren't canceled or postponed. Obviously, they've already hit that point. But uh, just in general, Kyle, you know, it seems like the league is hitting another point again where we're going to be talking about how to manage this stuff. So uh, in general, I mean, how are you feeling about the state of the league and, and what's going to be going on in the near future? I It's interesting because I know there's been people that said, well, let's just take a couple weeks off. Just take a break, let everyone, which makes sense. But the problem is then you have to make sure that Everyone is in lockdown. All the players are in lockdown. All the coaches are in lockdown. The staff, anyone that has interaction with the team would need to be in some sort of lockdown because the same situation is happening over in England with the Premier League. There's They've had games postponed left and right, and there's teams that are throwing 15, 16-year-olds on their bench just to fill out the roster, and that's what's happening. Some games get canceled two hours before it's supposed to start because when they do the testing right before players are testing positive. So it's a situation that is definitely wrecking havoc in England as well. It's happening in the NFL. So that it's just one of those where I don't know what the best solution is. Yes, you can take a break. But again, like I said, you have to make sure everyone's on lockdown. Yes, you can try and power through. But how much more harm is that going to cause? The only solution you can possibly think of is, well, maybe you start playing games without fans. But for those that have already bought tickets, for example, like, if they were to say we're not going to have fans for Christmas, that's a lot of tickets that the Bucks are going to have to refund, and that's financially going to hurt them. So I don't know how you go about it. It seems like maybe just trying to power through and hope for the best and maybe just make sure that when – and maybe they'll have to readjust the protocols. But it is it is going to be interesting just because, like I said, how there's no good solution. There's no easy solution. I mean, that's basically COVID in a nutshell. There's not really a lot of solutions that – are ideal. It's just kind of a, how do you manage this as best as you can? So it, in terms of how it's impacted the Bucks, I mean, obviously we saw on Saturday, they had eight players available um, with the herd having their showcase, uh, the showcase cup coming up soon. How many of those guys are going to be gone? I mean, when you and Gabriel was signed to a 10 day contract, which sucks because it's the Nets and I liked him, but how many of these G leaguers are going to get called up? How many, I mean, we saw Isaiah Thomas go from not having a team at all to playing for the Lakers. Like how many of these guys are going to show up at the last second? I know we joke about earth, Sunday, Silva making a return, you know, which old bucks are going to come back, but it really is just kind of a, you just hope that you can manage it as best as you can and just power through. And maybe it's not the best idea, but it seems like that's the only idea that everyone wants to be on board with i haven't heard much grumbling about you know maybe players are not enjoying this or there's too much of a risk it just seems like everyone's kind of on the we're just going to weather the storm as best as we can yeah how are you feeling about it sean uh, obviously you you were a part of the organization a bit too when when covid hit so you understand a little bit about how they're how the players and other folks have had to deal with this yeah 
so just getting to see it firsthand uh, last year when team personnel <clears throat> were starting to getting starting to get integrated back into the the daily operations of the of the team in person, uh, you know, kind of happening I believe around March or so of last year, just kind of as we headed into the home stretch and into the playoffs, just getting to see testing protocols and things like that firsthand, um, the way in which the organization um, handled, you know separating players and personnel, making sure that players were, were on top of things um, in terms of their personal health, in terms of their circles, who they were allowing access to, things like that. I mean, it is surprising to see this, you know, this issue affect the Bucks, but, it, it, you know, it's a league-wide issue, and, and who knows where this came from? You know, who knows where each team's outbreak comes from? Does it come from other teams? Does it come from um, their social lives, their family social lives, things like that. It's, it, there's a lot of moving pieces that are really, really hard to regulate. So from that perspective, I mean, I think, Kyle, you brought up an interesting point just in that I think a lot of people want to take a break, and I think that that is maybe, you know, when things are getting out of control, it's like, whoa, whoa, let's hit pause. Let's look at our protocols. Let's look at the way that we're running things. Maybe we can we can kind of slow the spread, but you know, I, in the same point that you made, I, I would say that that might have a detrimental effect in that if you keep things going, at least what you have is control over the player's schedules. You have control over their whereabouts and things like that. You know that. Whereas, you know, we're dealing with uh, 19 to, you know, 30-year-old guys, and, and most of the league is made up of that younger tier, where if you leave them to their own devices on a weekend, two weeks in a row, no games, nothing to do. You know, we saw in the bubble, guys took liberties with that. So in their own home cities, what's going to happen then? Are guys going to treat it like vacation? There's COVID fatigue. I mean, just across not only the league, but across the world, uh, there's there's just COVID fatigue. And I think a lot of guys are just probably going to say, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so done with this. I'm not going to sit at home. You know, the thing I can speak to from from the Bucks perspective last year is just the, from a cultural perspective, the the type of guys that are on that team that were there last year, and obviously a lot left over this year is a lot of guys they they don't need that that policing, right? They don't need that. Uh, so I think the Bucks in particular would be uniquely positioned where if the league did decide to hit pause, I think that it might be advantageous to a team like the Bucks that has a good veteran. Um, structure, a good um, accountability program, and things like that where I, I think would the Bucks be able to, to outlast <clears throat> a pause, let's just say two weeks? Uh, yeah, I think so. But some of your other teams, I, I think coming back out of that, I think you might have more of a problem than you do a solution. So, you know, I just speaking to, to, to my interactions um, with the team and whatnot last year, Everyone takes it seriously. You know, there's the leadership is um, uh, from every, you know, from from Dave Dean, um, you know, VP of, of basketball operations, you know, Milt Newton, assistant GM, um, the people that maybe you don't hear their name as much, uh, those individuals that are in charge of and overseeing how things are run day to day, they take it extremely seriously extremely seriously and even at times last year where it felt like we could kind of let our guard down a little bit um there were reminders hey we're not out of this i think that was kind of a common thing that was kind of said throughout um throughout the, the stretch run there and um you know i think that that has it, i would guess has, has made its way into this season where last year it was hey 
we know what we what we have a chance to do. We have a chance to do something special, fortunate enough to accomplish it. And I think because of that, it was let's not let a COVID case derail this whole thing. And I think that that same mentality has to bleed into this season. But at the same point, we're you know we're in December. We're not in March. We're not in April. So I can see a, not only the Bucks but other teams. Again, that COVID fatigue, it just kind of, you let your guard down. So um, obviously it's an issue. I wish I had the solution. I don't. I don't think anyone really does. Uh, I just think taking another look at the protocols um, while things kind of continue to push ahead is really the only way you can go with it. Yeah, what I was trying to say is like Bobby Portis last year, I remember, I think he was in the protocol. I don't think he tested positive for COVID, but he was saying like, I don't want to be the one that screws it up for everyone. Like, I don't want to be that guy. So I think that is kind of something that is going to continue bleeding over, you know, especially with more veterans on the team. It is going to be a, I don't want to be the one that causes that problem. I don't want to be that guy. So I, I do agree with you, Sean. It is. This team seems to be more like okay, and I feel more confident with how they would handle it than other teams in the league. But at the same time, it's the players might be good. Who knows? In their social circle, maybe there are people that are not treating it like it's a thing. So maybe they're the ones that bring it to them. They can try their best. And I mean, you can do everything you can to keep yourself safe and still get it. So that's kind of the tough part as well. It's a really difficult situation. I mean, the league is, as they've reported recently, like 97% vaccinated. So it, it, incredibly high vaccination rate, even, you know, if that's being safer environment than most of us just going around in our hometowns, obviously. And, you know, there were some reporting about questions of, about whether we eventually would just have players who test positive who are asymptomatic, just have them play. There's some executives who, this is in the Baxter Holmes piece on ESPN, who said maybe we'll have to reach a point where we just do that. It sounds like up to this point, the NBA and the MBPA are, are really against that, which I, I think is probably a, a right place to be, not just because of the, the message they think it sends the public, but also just considering player safety, because you don't really know what the virus is going to do to one person versus the other. Uh, it, but it, it's just such a, it's such a difficult spot, because I think, like you said, Sean, there's so much COVID fatigue and the players for the most part with a few with a few folks who have decided not to get vaccinated. I mean, almost all of them have been vaccinated. It sounded like on um, they're also they've also put in a, a, a deadline of December 17th, which I guess might have just passed or, or pretty soon to get the booster shot or else you'll have to be subjected basically daily testing. So uh, no matter what, though, over the holidays, it sounds like the league is instituting increased testing, which, uh, of course, you know, might disrupt the players' rhythms again. But I guess for the sake of their safety, that's it's probably more important to have them do that. It, you know, right, Sean? Yeah. Um, and I think having guys stay local too. I, I think, you know, even over, like over the holidays and things like that. Now, you know, Milwaukee, they have a game, you know, so that's – they're going to be local um, one way or the other. But – just as much as you can manage these guys, their whereabouts and and manage their 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 movements and things like that, the better you're going to be. But you just you can never tell. You can and and you can be as safe as possible. And it only takes one. You know we've obviously seen how contagious this is, and especially with Omicron and everything like that. I mean the spread. It just it can happen in the blink of an eye. Um, and so it only takes one. It takes one case. It takes one person. You know saying ah I'm fine to go get a bite to eat. I'm fine to go meet a friend out. You know, uh, you know, I haven't seen this guy in a long time and he's in town or, Oh man, my, my agent is in town. I gotta go. 
there's so many things that pull these guys in so many different directions. And so, um, you know, I would say, uh, you know, another thing and we, when we talked about this and also at the time of recording this morning, I don't know if you guys just saw the update, but almost 10 o'clock, Trey Young is now out with, with COVID. Uh, he's in he's in the protocols. So another star player in COVID protocols. And I was I was just kind of looking at, you know, one of my th- the things I've just gotten in the habit of doing is I just I, I, uh, I browse every box score every morning uh, after the games have been played across the league. And last night, I, I the, one of the biggest things that, that I think is the issue, and it's, it's not just COVID, but, you know, for a long time, what, what we've been talking about now is the league from a viewership standpoint having an issue with teams and how they manage injuries, how they manage rest, how they choose to do that. So when you have that combined with COVID now, you have a storm of games like last night, like you saw in Milwaukee between Milwaukee and Cleveland. That's not a marquee matchup to begin with, right? But at the same time, you have two teams that are in the Eastern Conference playoff contention playing each other next to each other in the standings. I mean, conventionally, no, not not a marquee matchup, but could have been a great game last night if everybody was at full strength. So you had a lot of COVID cases and things like that. And then beyond that, you're managing Drew and his rest rightfully so. Uh, but if you looked across the league last night, and I just want to run through a couple lineups last night that stood out to me. So obviously, you know, Milwaukee last night, George Hill, Javante Smart, Jordan Nuora, Sandro, and DeMarcus, obviously not a star-studded lineup by any means, by any stretch. <laughs> but you do what you can, 44 minutes for Javante Smart. Uh, Golden State played Toronto last night. Golden State ran out Chris Chioza, Damian Lee, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Jonathan Kaminga, and Kayvon Looney. The Clippers played last night. They played against Oklahoma City. They ran out Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, Justice Winslow, Ivica Ivica Zubac against Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Alexander, Aaron Wiggins, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Orlando versus Brooklyn. Gary oh, Harris, yeah, that was bad. Franz yes. Wagner, Chumo KK, Michael Mulder, and Robin Lopez, who put up 20 and 10. Shout out, Robin. Against Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, David Duke, Kessler Edwards, and Blake Griffin. That's an issue on a Saturday night when you're not going up against college football or marquee college football matchups. And there's one NFL game on, right? That's an issue for viewership. So you have... Now, all those lineups are not just due to COVID. Now, is COVID a a huge factor in that? Obviously. But you also have, now you have the perfect storm or the imperfect storm of injury management combined with COVID, resting guys, and you have a Saturday night where no one wants to watch the NBA. And that shouldn't be the case right now. It's the NBA right now going forward should own Friday and Saturday nights. And I don't know how they get back to a point where they can do that. Um, now, were any of those matchups to begin with, um, like I said, like marquee matchups? No, but you'd like to see at least one of Durant, Kyrie, and Harden, or you'd like to at least see one of Curry and Draymond or Wiggins uh, or, or Clay. What you have now is, is I think the issue that the league is starting to see kind of come home to roost and come home to bite them is – They've packed so much basketball into a, such a short period of time in the way in which the bubble ended late and the next season started early. And now you're starting to see a lot of rest and a lot of issues. And you're starting to see that 
the blueprint of the regular season doesn't matter. The Bucks won the NBA championship last year as a three seed. It's I, I think you're you're seeing an imperfect storm, and I think from a marketability and a viewership standpoint, the league has a huge issue on their hands that extends just beyond what COVID is presenting right now. Yeah, it's kind of funny because the two matchups that you would think, oh, this might not be bad, is the Wizards against the Utah Jazz. You know, the Wizards are doing better than most people would expect. I mean, Bradley Beal is still there. Like, they have guys that people know. And Utah Jazz still had Donovan Mitchell. They still had Rudy Gobert. They still had Joel. Like, they had guys. And that was probably not on people's radar because, you know, both those teams, I mean, yes, in terms of if you really watch basketball, it's an intriguing matchup. But a casual fan's not going to watch that. On the other end, you have the Knicks and Celtics. Like, that should be a game that maybe a lot of people would have been dying to see. And yet, maybe not. Because, yes, the Knicks are back in relevancy, which I think the league would always enjoy. But it's still the Knicks. Like, it's still, there's not that much star power over there. And Boston had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Again, guys that people know, but no one, like, I feel like casual people aren't going to care that much. Compared to a Durant. Compared to Curry. Compared to Giannis. Compared to even James Harden. Like, those guys are the ones that casual fans are going to be like, okay, there's an NBA going on. Yeah, I'll watch that. Sure, why not? Like like I said, I didn't watch last night's game because there was a Wisconsin women's volleyball match. Granted, I would have watched that over a regular season Bucks playoff game anyway, but I was. I feel like that is something where you have that, like your biggest competition is volleyball championship, an NFL game between the Patriots and Colts. That's not really screaming, yes, I want to watch that and a couple college football games. Unless you were waiting for the Jake Paul fight, then maybe that would have been a different story. But like it, that's, but you looked at the lineups, and like you said, Sean, like listing those lineups, it's like, oh, I don't know about that. So would someone over in Kansas City really care about any of those NBA games and may watch just the NFL instead because it's the NFL? Is someone that's, you know, maybe more like, I don't care about football, they probably watch the volleyball match. Like there was more things that had higher stakes that at least drew your attention and the NBA just didn't have that. Yeah, not to mention, I mean, Christmas Day is coming, which is sort of the NBA's kind of coming out day to get in front of a nationally televised audience. In the weeks ahead, then they'll probably try to reclaim Thursday nights. Uh, they'll have their their afternoon Sunday games when the NFL is done. But the, the Christmas Day game, I mean, it's possible we won't have Giannis on it, which would make for a really rough game viewing day uh, of the Milwaukee Bucks that day. Um, one of the marquee games is the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers. Who knows what's going on with the Nets? The Lakers just lost AD to an injury. Um, he's going to be out for a while. And Russell Westbrook is in the health and safety protocols. So that's probably their one they were pegging as the highest viewed one will likely be a, a matchup that no one's really interested in viewing. So it, it, it goes broader. And I, I mean, they can say you're going to sign – 10 day players for all of it. But I mean, it, it's so hard to try and figure out the, the checks and balances of, okay, pausing obviously puts a huge detriment on both the players. Maybe it ends up being worse, but then there's also the fact that maybe on Christmas day, we'll have four 10 day players playing for the, uh, the Brooklyn nets. And I, I, I don't know if that's a better solution either. I, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's really difficult. Yeah. One thing, just, just to speak to the, the roster, um, construction side of this i think there's a couple things that need to happen and need to happen almost immediately uh you need to you need to completely eliminate or at least ease the cap ramifications of signing players on in a hardship i mean it's it's a no-brainer 
And then beyond that, I think similar to uh, last season, you need to eliminate the two-way days of service maximums. It needs to be gone. And then beyond that, if you wanted to take it a step further so that these teams don't have to continually cycle through 10-day guys, I think you also have to maybe consider adding a third two-way or consider um, removing the year of service, the three-year of service um, max on your two ways so that a guy like Isaiah Thomas can, rather than going from G League to 10-day, he can just sign a two-way contract and he can just he can bounce back and forth and stay. Um, there's definitely some, some roster construction, some cap mechanisms that need to be alleviated, need to be addressed uh, because, you know, tax teams like the Bucks, every move, it, it, it's, it's echo and it's ripple effect is, is much more felt. And you don't want to penalize the teams that are in contention um, from, from doing things like that. And I would say also from, from a scouting standpoint, um, believe it or not, obviously this kind of the other side of the coin from, from the casual fan and the viewership element of this, I know a lot of scouts who loved the fact that they got to see Javante Smart for 44 minutes last night. I mean, it's, it's a player evaluation, you know, obviously first and foremost, you want all your guys that, that um, are dealing with COVID to be healthy, to not be spreaders um, and to come out of COVID with no lingering effects. That's one a, you know, that's first and foremost, but there's a lot of scouts who travel the country, you know, 75 to 80% of the year um, and have to write reports on these guys uh, or wonder about what is Javante smart? What is his place in the league? You get 44 minutes to see him. Unfortunately, it wasn't a good 44 last night, but you get time to see these guys where you otherwise wouldn't have. You don't have to go to Canton to see the charge. You know, you can, you can watch those players at the NBA level and kind of see how they would, how they would fare. So there is a, a benefit from a player evaluation standpoint that I got to see a little bit last year, just in talking with, with our scouts and just, um, you know, they would kind of light up and at the chance to see um, Mamadi play, you know, almost a full game and, and how does he play in the pick and roll and things like that. So there is an element of it that player evaluation is beneficial. That is true. Yeah, it is kind of nice to be able to just watch, you know, someone like a Javante Smart, someone like a Mamakil Shvili. Like, it is kind of cool to watch those guys, and especially when you are in the drudge of winter and mid-regular mid season. It's like, well, why do I want to watch? And it's like, oh, you can see this young player. You can see if Jordan War is going to be get that guy. So I guess there is some appeal for, like, there can you can find ways to be invested, obviously, for those that listen to this podcast or follow up or hoop. Like, they're the ones that are going to be like, all right, I got to see those 44 minutes. I got to see what Jordan Moore could do. I mean, it is kind of cool in that aspect where you have that, but it is, it's more of a, I know people got upset with Wara for his foul against the Pelicans, and at the same time, I'm thinking, in no regular situation would Jordan Wara be in a closing lineup. So, if anything, this is just a learning experience for him. So, I'm not. it's not a great foul, but at this point, what more can we ask of the guy? Like he is in a closing line of a situation he should never be in. So it is what it is. And I think there is that side of it as well. Sean, from the, from the scouting perspective or, or the organizational perspective, like I, I look at some of these games, like an example of the, the Cavaliers game. And so how, how do you, and I always wonder this too, about like translating summer league to the regular season when the, when the players are like, like Mamu, for example, gets up nine or, or Wara gets up, you know, 18 shots or whatever. How, how do they 
how do they kind of take translating what a player does in a situation where they have the green light or they're they're like clearly have to be more a focal point of something and then translate to a you know a scenario where they're playing eight minutes a night and they know there's a specific role they need to do like how how from the organizational perspective how do they translate someone who has to play a primary role in a game for a long time to when they eventually play a more minor role in a more important lineup so i would say more often than not you're going in with the expectation that at that uh at that level of experience for Javante, for a guy in his second year like Jordan or for Sandro, more often than not, you're going to get exposed. The more minutes you play, you're going to get exposed. Javante was never going to go out there for 44 minutes and impress in all of those minutes. It just wasn't going to happen, right? So the thing that you have to do, and this is, I guess, more of a personal preference, but just what I've picked up on, whether it's sitting next to a scout at a game or, or whatever it is, is you you don't focus on the macro. You don't focus on the bigger picture. You, you look for things. You look for little things, right? Does he die on a screen or can he fight over, um, you know, on a defensive assignment on help side? Is he there? Uh is he getting burned off the dribble? Is or is he closing out too hard? Like like you look for little things like that that you can then take away and say, well, that guy's capable of doing that, right? Understanding like Jordan Mora, like you know, that's not that's not the role you want him to play, right? You want him to be an off the bench microwave scorer that can give you twenty minutes and and every now and then um, swing a game for you. Uh, if it's a dog fight on a Tuesday night in Charlotte and you're down eight at half and he can come in in the third quarter, hit a couple threes, bring it close. You can slow the game down, things like that. Like, so you're looking for moments. You're not looking for, you know, you're not going to look at a box score and say, you know, last night I keep picking on Javante, but he was, you know, three of 10, you know, like you don't look at that and be like, oh shoot, like that's a rough night. You look for little things. How does he play in pick and roll? How much do teams target him? You can tell us just as much from how a team decides, how an opposing team decides to play a guy or pick on him, expose him, put him on an island as you can from from what your own game plan is for the guy. So you just you look for the little things. And and sometimes those can those can get you another 10 day. Sometimes they can get you a two way. Sometimes they can get you a summer league invite. So um, players know that. And that's how they're coached. Like, hey, like do the little things. So I would say that that's. You, you understand that's not going to translate the way that the f- average fan would want it to. That's really interesting insight. Thank you. I, that, that makes a lot of sense. Hopefully that helps the viewers too, when you're watching. So you don't see, look for the little stuff, man. Just yeah. look for the little thing. If, if, if Javante smart has, can walk away with five good moments, like in a game, that's good, man. Like that's good. It's 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 house money with him. Like he's he's there to just prove that he belongs on some level. So, well, speaking of uh, of belonging, yeah, we're 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 gonna move past the COVID stuff, and we're gonna move to hopefully they get we're we'll get to the games. Those aren't as fun to talk about, but we wanted we wanted to touch briefly on it was the the year anniversary of Giannis signing his supermax. Obviously, that was a, a thrilling day for Wisconsinites, Bucks fans, the Bucks organization eventually went on to win the championship, which, which, which was fantastic. Of course. Uh, I don't know, Kyle, a year since Giannis signed the Supermax, how are we, uh, did it give you any feels? Did it give you any memories? How are you feeling? 
I remember when the news was announced last year, I immediately shotgunned a beer in my driveway out of celebration. <laughs> so it was it was great because at that point, I didn't even care. Would it be great if the Bucks won a championship? Yeah, sure. But at the same time, we got to see Giannis continue to be a Milwaukee Buck, and he chose that. And despite all the hoopla and everything, he still decided to say, and that was great. And now a year later, it's kind of it almost wrote itself its own fairy tale story. Like you, he decides to stay. He wins the championship. He has this. Like he, I said this to Emma last night. Giannis could retire right now, and he's an automatic Hall of Famer. Like it's it's that simple. He could retire, and he's a Hall of Famer. He is the greatest Bucks player in the history of the franchise. It's now just a matter of how much more can he do. And, you know, the fact that we get to continue watching him and the fact that he's still here for another four or five years minimum, that I that's something that I will not take for granted, especially with the Milwaukee Bucks. There has never been a player of this caliber that I've been able to see. Obviously, you know, there was guys like Sidney Moncrief and Marcus Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robinson. And there were guys before, but there was never... But, like, our generation never had that. So the fact that we have that with Giannis now, it was kind of cool to see. And I think in retrospect for this year, it seems as though everything almost – it's kind of like a – like Riley said, stare death in the face and death blinked. And it happened with his knee injury. It happened with the uh, net series. It happened in the NBA Finals. It, it, how many times that happened? And yet, despite all that, I, it's kind of cool. So very much enjoying it. It, it. it feels like it was kind of – I thought – the Bucks social media team would have done more to be honest with that year with that announced with the year anniversary but maybe with just all the stuff with COVID and going on they possibly just decided you know maybe that was not the best side but no it's pretty great and I, I think the mood of Bucks fans has been in a much better spot even even when he signed from when he signed it to now it obviously the title helps but him staying was I think a big boost for everyone I was going to say, I, I'm so glad you mentioned the shotgunning because I had a Snapchat memory snap up the other day and it was me just chugging a beer and I had no clue why I was doing that. I had literally <laughs> no, I didn't do a caption. Now I, now I know why I did that. Uh, okay. Well, that's good. Sean, how about for you? I mean, obviously you were um, with the organization when he signed it. What, what sort of memories or anything else is that, did that bring back for you? Yeah. So I would say beyond just being fortunate enough to be a part of the organization during that time period. Um, and during the last two seasons, uh, and I shared this with someone the, the day that he signed it because um, I was one of only a couple people in the organization that, that were from Milwaukee originally. And um, I was talking to, to one of my bosses and <clears throat> just about it. And he's like, how are you feeling? And I just said, like, you guys don't really understand, like. I know you guys understand because we all as an organization, everyone worked so hard to build something around Giannis that Giannis could be proud of, that Giannis could uh, see a future with, right? But what you don't really get a grasp on unless you've been a part of the culture and been in Milwaukee, grew up here through the Corey McGettys, Stephen Jacksons, the... um, You know, I don't mean to disparage any guys like that, but everyone gets my point. Um, unless you've lived through that, right? Like um, you don't understand what it's like for a guy to pick Milwaukee, to choose it. Like he said, like, this is where I want to be. And that it feels personal when a guy decides that he's going to do that when it's not his hometown. Right. Um, He's adopted the city and embraced it in a way in which no athlete 
no, I, I don't care if you're talking about Aaron Rodgers. I don't care if you're talking about Brett Favre, uh, Reggie White, or Christian Yelich, or Ryan Braun, any of the guys who belong in the Wisconsin, you know, Mount Rushmore of athletes. No one has seemingly embraced Milwaukee the way that Giannis has. So, uh, you know, I was I was able to share that with some people and just like, it was cool to be able to thank my coworkers who I know were there long before me and able to construct a roster and build a culture that Giannis could feel comfortable in and that Giannis could feel like he could take and make his own and put a stamp on. So uh, it was really special. That day was great. Um, I, I'll never forget getting the text that he had signed. Um, uh, fun little bit of background. So, I get the text, hey, you know, I don't remember the exact words, but um, I get the text from a coworker, and then immediately I get a call from another coworker saying, hey, uh, I'm going to patch you in with a couple more people. We have a project. You need to drop what you're doing right now. I'm like, oh, shit, what is this? And uh, said, uh, we need the best pen that you can find in Milwaukee, and we need it in an hour. And it needs to be personalized. It needs to be um, in a nice box. The best pen you can possibly find. And so myself, I'd say three or four other people, we just went into overdrive trying to find one. Uh, and fortunately, I found one. I found a, a gold-plated, I forgot the carat weight. doesn't really matter. But I forgot, I found a gold-plated pen. Um, and I found a place that would inscribe it and get it back to me and inscribe a box and get it back to me within the hour. And so I scrambled, got it done. And uh, simultaneously, everyone else was trying to find a better pen because we were like, we don't care if, you know, if we have a pen that we, this, this is the money that's in the NBA. If we find a pen that's a gold pen and we find, but, and we get it inscribed and it's ready to go and we find a better one, We'll go with the better one. We'll just eat the cost on the one that you found. It's fine. So uh, I was fortunate enough to find one, get it inscribed, get it turned around. Um, I was, I mean, I, I could be transparent with the people doing it because I, I said, you know, they were inscribing with his name, the date, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that would become a keepsake for Giannis and his family. And um, so much to the disappointment of Chris and Pat, who loaded his his blocker with a bunch of pens <laughs> that he did not end up using. Um, I don't know if they were able to expense that pack of bicks that they bought, but either way, um, that was just kind of a, a fun story then to get to see him use that pen to sign that I found um, with a box sitting there on the desk in front of him. Um, it was cool in those videos. It was like a little kid. I was like, that's my pen. That's my pen. You know, so... Um, so that was that was fun, uh, and then from the the process the process of the negotiations, like the the uh, being fortunate enough to be involved in that and crafting um, some of the presentation materials, uh, including um, some digital media stuff, a video that I was fortunate enough to be asked to both produce and voice um, and narrate uh, for the group um, uh, during one of the negotiations that I know Giannis was able to watch and his teammates were able to watch. That's kind of, that's the kind of pinch me stuff that um, I'll always have um, beyond just the championships and everything like that. But, you know, just where this day will always rank, not just for me, but just for Wisconsin, you, you just gotta be proud of yourselves. Like everybody just has to be proud that you, um, 
that you're part of a community that a guy like that who holds himself and holds others in such a high standard wants to be a part of. Um, and that just, that speaks to, to everything about the state, about the city. Um, and I would say if, if, you know, if, if you were to ask me to put together a list of great moments, events in Wisconsin sports history, this is up there with any Super Bowl, with any championship. Um, it, it's right up there. And I don't know how many other uh, major sports or, or, or small sports markets for that matter can say that they have an event in their top three to top five that isn't a championship. So I uh, think just the, it speaks to the weight that that guy carries. It, it speaks to uh, um, what a great place Milwaukee and Wisconsin are. And I just, yeah, it'll always be a special day for me, but it should be an equally specially special day for everybody who who's ever, you know, rude for this team. Absolutely. Oh, we, we are really lucky. Almost anytime Giannis opens his mouth, it's like a pinch me moment. He's, he seems to always say the right thing. It's like, it's, it's just crazy. I, I, I can't believe it. We are really fortunate to have him. Um, all right, well, let's move on to a couple games where we didn't have Giannis. If you wanted to uh, look at how, how much more joyous it is to have him playing. First, we'll talk very briefly about this Boston game, which already feels like so long ago, I can barely remember it. Um, so Bucks lose at Boston after Kyle Riley and I all predicted a perfect four and a week last week. Um, so Giannis goes for 20 points, 12 rebounds, clearly stymied by the, uh, Giannis stopper, Al Horford, of course, um, drew 20 points, eight assists. R- really this one, the, the biggest story from this one was Chris leaving with a hyperextended knee. Um, thankfully it doesn't seem like it's going to be a major issue, although he was he was listed as probable and then held out of these last couple of games, which which may have just been they want to give him some extra rest. But um, really, Tatum went off in this one for 42 points, which I feel like hasn't happened all that often against Milwaukee. Boston was really hot from 320-47. They turned it around after a slow start. Um, but but really, Kyle, it felt like this one, the Bucks might have been a little tired on a back-to-back. Chris left the game. And Boston got hot. I felt like they just didn't have enough firepower to put themselves over the top. It was definitely an annoying loss just because Milwaukee, after the first quarter especially, it was like, okay, they're going to be fine. Boston played well in the second quarter. So you're going into halftime. You're down one. But you're thinking, okay, Milwaukee's okay. Milwaukee's in a good spot. And then the third quarter, everything just got derailed. Chris goes down. Everything goes out the window. The Bucks did struggle with shooting. I think they were like around 30% from three. Bobby didn't shoot that well. Pat didn't shoot that well. So it was kind of a frustrating night, especially for Giannis. I think the one you know positive that was coming out of it was Drew was trying, and it seemed as though maybe he could steer it. But when Grant Williams is, what, five of seven from three or something like that, you can't. you're not going to win many games because of it. I mean, Tatum had a really good game, and there's nothing to take away from that, but it's not as though Boston did anything super great. They were just they just had two guys that were just making shots after shots, and when that happens, it is what it is. But the biggest thing was hopefully that, okay, Chris is out, and you hope it's not a long-term injury, and so far it doesn't seem like it, but at the same time, I don't know what this team anymore with injuries like we all thought Brooke was just kind of rusting and then back soreness and all of a sudden he has back surgery. So at this point, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if Chris played sometime on Christmas Day. I also wouldn't be surprised if he's out for the rest of the season. That's just where I'm at, especially with the hyperextended knee. I, I don't know, but I hope Chris is OK. Like I said, it, the fact that it wasn't automatically ruled an ACL tear is positive, at least, but. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward with him. But otherwise, this game was just frustrating and annoying because it's Boston and how and 
two guys basically unable to miss. It, it is what it is. Yeah, did anything stand out to you from this game, Sean? Yeah, I guess from the hyper from <clears throat> from the Chris injury standpoint, uh, you know, leave it to Giannis to set the bar impossibly high for how you deal with a hyperextension of your knee. Um, you know, like uh, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if Chris missed a month. Like I, I wouldn't. I mean, that's a hyperextension of the knee. That's I, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV either. But they just it's it's not an easy injury to come back from in terms of just you might not tear something, but you inflammation, uh, pain management, things like that. I mean, also you just, even if he could go, um, you know, if, if, if we had a playoff game to play, could he go? I, I bet you he could, but at the same time, I mean, why, why at this point, why run him out there? Uh, I saw, I've seen him in, uh, warmups getting shots up and things like that. So he's trying to stay fresh. If this was something that was going to be longer term, I doubt you'd see him out there doing that. But, uh, from this game, I think it's another one of those games that when you play the way the Bucks do and give up a lot of threes every now and then, someone's going to have a, a, an extreme statistical outlier on you, and they're going to bury 23s, um, most of them open in your face. Uh, and that's just what's what's going to happen. And if you can hang with a team that's doing that to you, um, even with injuries, uh, you know, that's – that's a that's a hard fought night. Um, it's it was just kind of the perfect or imperfect storm of, you know, Giannis against Horford. We've we've seen this movie a million times, um, and then a team just burying a lot of open threes. So uh, I would say not much to take away from this game, other than this was kind of the start of you. Well, not the start, but a point at which we started to see Drew uh, take on more of an offensive role, uh, which makes me excites me, but also makes me a little nervous, uh, just from the standpoint of, you know, touching on the COVID, uh, injury management, uh, a topic from earlier, not to belabor that, but Drew is a guy who has not had any time off. And if, if you're going to start to tax him and, and increase his minutes, he's averaging just around 37, uh, since this game, since Giannis went out over a five game stretch, so I was glad to see them give him some rest, but I'm not, I'm not messing with Drew's minutes above, you know, he's already leading the team in minutes slightly over Giannis. Um, but that's a scary formula when you already have Chris out, when you have Giannis on COVID protocols. It's just a scary formula. So I would say um, good to see Drew take more ownership of that lead guard role from a scoring mentality. But those minutes scare me. So uh, this was kind of that first game where I looked at it and I was like, man, I don't want to wear him out. I don't think you're going to see a Drew Holiday. If, if, if this trend were to continue, you're not going to see Drew Holiday picking anybody up 94 feet trying to swing a series defensively in the playoffs this year. So um, let's not, you know, let's let's keep the main thing the main thing. I was glad to see him get rest against Cleveland, but this was kind of that first game where I'm watching and I'm like, I'm excited, but I'm a little nervous about where this is going with Drew. That's good. That's good. Pick picture reminder because I, I definitely was mostly watching them and was like, ah, oh, man, it's nice to see him hit the bunnies again. That was kind of frustrating through the first ten games of the season, but yes. but also then he might not be able to make the bunnies in the playoffs if he's if his legs are rested. But all right, so but they lost to Boston. That was annoying, but we did get a win against the Pacers. Drew Holiday, twenty six points, fourteen assists. Portis and Connaughton at twenty each. Uh, Bucks going on a twenty five to five run in the fourth. Kyle, I don't think I've seen a team wilt quite like this in in a while i mean what did you think of the pacers just like just utterly falling apart in the fourth because it was neck and neck for most of the game 
Yeah, if Riley was here, I think Riley would go on a long tangent about how much of bums the Pacers are. And it, it was bad. I don't know how, as a franchise, you come back from that. This team, yes, it didn't have Giannis. It didn't have Chris. Thanasis was playing 21 minutes. You know, it, you're, they, the Bucks were playing with guys that were just not in the protocol at this point. Um, it helps when the Bucks shoot 48% from three, 14 to 29, which is nice, but... Man, I don't know what you – the Pacers, I don't know what happened in that fourth quarter. It it was ugly. You know, Sabonis, especially in the third quarter, Sabonis was getting offensive rebounds left and right because when Bobby Portis was out, it was kind of just Mamukilashvili, and he was just eating up all the offensive boards. Miles Turner was started in a pretty decent state, but I don't know what happened in that fourth quarter, It, but – I, it is, I would just say I would be embarrassed if I was the Pacers. That, that's all I got for it. What did you see, Sean? Yeah, so I guess the way my brain kind of works with a game like this uh, in terms of, you know, it being the first where you're missing Giannis and COVID protocols and you're just kind of understanding, hey, we got to get through this stretch. Who are going to be the guys that can kind of help uh, pick us up and get us through this? Um, because when things like this happen, when Chris goes down with an injury, Giannis is out on COVID pro- protocols. First thing that an agent for a guy like a Jordan Awara um, or a Rodney Hood or um, you know any of these guys who might not get regular minutes, their agent, their people, they're in their ear like, hey, this is your opportunity. Like, this is your chance. Like, go out there, show the staff what you can do, get back in that rotation. Um, that's how they're looking at it. So what do how do guys like that that are kind of on the outside of the rotation respond and i thought for the most part you know saw some good things from jordan saw some good things from ronnie hood um just in terms of of their contributions jordan over 27 minutes uh you know rodney hood right at 19 so uh that's kind of how i i just kind of having an understanding of how agents and people like that communicate with guys when these opportunities come up it was good to see them uh, get minutes and, and be able to perform um, maybe above or, or or at the standard that you might expect. Uh, the other thing from a roster construction standpoint, when you look at a game like this, obviously Indiana has been in, in the headlines, ready to blow it all up, tear it all down. Um, and for a team in Milwaukee that seems to like to trade for guys that torch us, uh, not a great showing for any of the guys that are on the trade <laughs> uh, block for Indiana. So uh, if I was an Indiana Pacer, uh, I would say, oh, I'm playing against a team that might have some interest in trading for me, given the injury to Brooke. If I'm Miles Turner, I want to put my best foot forward. And same with Sabonis. Um, I, I want to show out with uh, executives in the building, uh, coaches in the building that can see how I play firsthand. So uh, good on you um, if you're if you're Miles Turner, Sabonis, or or Levert. Um, yeah, you're, uh, you're 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 possibly staying put um, with with the way you play. So anyhow, uh, that's kind of how I I, I kind of tend to view games like this. Um, just uh, when a team comes in that has some guys who uh, are on the trading block. Um, how do they look against your team? And none of these guys really excited me. Um, obviously, you're not going to base whether or not a guy fits on one game that he plays against you early on in the season. But at the same time, you can kind of see a team that quits in the fourth quarter or fizzles out and 
you know, most of their cores being discussed in trade deadlines, it's not a great look. So yeah, that's kind of how I, how I viewed the game. Um, again, not a, nothing inspiring from either team that I thought was worth, uh, talking about X's and O's wise. No, no. Well, poor, poor Pacers. I mean, Poor Domas. I mean, the, the game was so bad he had to go public with his with his with his wanting out of Indiana. That's how that's how depressing it was for them. And next game was kind of interesting. It was an OT loss to the Pelicans. I say kind of interesting because it went to OT and Drew scored forty points and Grayson Allen had twenty five points, which was good to see him stepping up because he's been a especially when the the core lineup was in of late. He had he had been struggling just a little bit in terms of his shots. So it was good to see him having to create some shots and and find his way. Pat Connaughton was one of nine for deep, which was abnormal for him. Um, but, you know, Devontae Graham goes for 26. Jonas Valanciunas mashes the Bucks inside. Not all, not all that surprising, given that they were without their interior folks. This is the game that Bobby Portis was out for. So the interior defenders were basically DeMarcus Cousins and Sandro Mamukilashvili. Um, and then they, they mostly went, they also went small ball for quite a bit of it. Uh, down the stretch was was some interesting scenarios. So, what do you think in the last play of regulation, Kyle? When the Bucks got the rebound, are we making too much of this? Am I making too little of it? Drew seemed to get the ball and have a very laissez-faire attitude about pushing it up. And there also was not a call, a timeout call. I, I tweeted this. If this was last year at this point, I'm pretty sure Bucks Twitter would have eviscerated Bud <laughs> and his team and criticized them for They would still be criticizing them to this point for that. I, I don't know. I, I think it was just one where Drew didn't realize how much time was left and no one told him. So because Pat Connaughton gets the rebound, kind of casually just gives it to Drew. Drew casually brings it up. And then I was thinking maybe they're going to call a timeout when they get to half court. That's what I initially thought, but then no timeout was called. And I think maybe Drew, Drew was expecting it, and all of a sudden there's like two seconds and Drew has not done any attempt at a move whatsoever. And I'm just <laughs> thinking, oh, okay, so we just completely had a brain fart at this moment. And even if he did hit the shot, it wasn't going to be out in time. It was weird. It was just a everyone just had a brain fart you know bud maybe thought okay i'm just gonna let these guys do it because this is the regular season bud is kind of a i'm gonna put it in their hands and drew maybe thought well bud's gonna call timeout when i get to half court draw up a play similar to with the hornets game who knows or maybe run the play there was gonna be some plan and no one did that and no one told drew like hey there's five seconds left maybe do something it was odd but it also felt fitting because this game, the Pelicans, I thought were going to pull away in the third quarter. And that's when Grayson Allen just decided he's going to hit every shot and kind of have his own takeover, which was kind of funny. And every time the Pel and the Pelicans kept trying to give this game away, it was it was kind of funny. There, the Bucks are running a lineup where I'm pretty sure Jordan Wara was technically the center, or Pat Connaughton was the center because Wara, Connaughton, uh, Grayson Allen, George Hill, and Rodney Hood. <laughs> that's not ideal <laughs> for size and Valachunas saw that and was like, okay, I'm just going to go inside. And he only, and he kept getting buckets, which led to him having 24 points, but it was just a weird final play. I, it was just a, you know, a year ago, I would not, I would have just logged off Twitter. Cause that would have been ugly to see, but now that's what winning a title gets you. It gives you a pass from all that criticism. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it wasn't. 
And then obviously they they couldn't pull it out in OT, which wasn't that surprising given they were so shorthanded and the Pelicans had most folks. Um, I mean, what else did you see from that game, Sean? Yeah, so I'd say touching on the last possession, like I'm personally a fan of don't let the defense get set up. Don't let them give – you take a timeout, you're giving them time to get their stuff set up to to talk about. You know, every team knows the other team's ATOs, right, and their end-of-game stuff. They've scouted it. They know it. They can watch it, you know, time and time again. At the same time, if you're not all going to be on the same page when you're doing that, kind of defeats the purpose because now neither of you are organized. So uh, it it felt like, Hey, let's, if you're going to, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to put yourself in a position like that um, and try to put the defense in a position where they're caught off guard, it would be nice to feel more organized and like a a stronger sense of urgency. Um, I think it was Lloyd Pierce who said like, uh, he complimented Drew Holiday and said, like, yeah, he's like, you know, you're not going to force him to do anything that he doesn't want to do. And this is after Indiana. Um, and you're not going to speed him up. And it's like, yeah, apparently not on the last play of the game with the ball in his hands and the chance to win either. Uh, so, um, yeah, very uncharacteristic uh, last sequence there um, at the end of the game. Not ideal, but uh, one of those that um, – you just in, in the through the course of the season, as good of a team and as talented and organized as the Bucks are, you're going to have this, uh, issues and situations like that. I will say, from a from an ATO perspective, I would put the Bucks uh, up there with. I put their stuff against any other team in the NBA. So, from that perspective, kind of interesting to see Bud not want to draw something up. But um, yeah, I, I think my biggest takeaway from that game, <laughs> the zone defenses were hilarious. Just in you're looking at them and Pat Connaughton's in the center of the zone. And you're like, I mean, Jonas, Jonas Van is out there roaming around and we're just cool with that. Like, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things where it's, you just kind of roll with what you got, right? You just kind of go with it and throw stuff against the wall and see what works. And uh, you hate to do that throughout the course of a game, but sometimes you have to. And I think that was one of those games that you're so banged up that you're just trying different things. But uh, again, I talked about it earlier with Drew, 44 minutes in this game in an overtime game. You had three guys over 40 minutes with multiple players, multiple players out for COVID protocols. That's a dangerous game to play. That is why the league needs to address roster construction because you're going to burn guys out as many guys as you have in code protocols. Now you're going to burn guys out for the stretch run. And we saw last year, how much injuries impacted the playoffs. Some teams like Milwaukee, it benefited them. Right. But we don't want to go. The the league does not want to go into another playoffs where it's best players are watching from the bench. So um, this was just another game that kind of reminds you that, you know, you cannot tax these guys minutes. You just, you just can't. So um, another thing, Grayson Allen, uh, just beyond just the shooting, uh, he continues to impress me defensively with how annoying he is. If you're not going to be a physical, like strong um, athletic defender, you have to be annoying. And uh, he is, I mean, I would, I would absolutely hate him if I was playing against him. Like I, you can kind of see sometimes like why he gets into these little scraps that he does. And granted it's, it's been a while since he has, but he is just, 
He'll pick your pocket when you're not looking. He'll jump a passing lane. He'll swipe it out of your hands if you got it too low when you're going to the rim. Like, he's annoying. And uh, I love that about him. I love that he not only understands his game offensively, but he seems to understand it really well defensively. Uh, And for a team of Milwaukee that, um, in terms of turnover percentage, from a defensive perspective, forcing other teams into turnovers and getting steals, they don't value it very highly. It is nice to have a guy that can maybe you know get you back a couple possessions uh throughout the course of the game and if you throw that together with drew uh and then dante when he comes back you have some opportunist players uh that can like i said get you some possessions back so that was one thing i I watched from this game is i was just like man is grayson is annoying as shit uh on defense so um yeah that was again another one of those games where throughout this stretch i just don't think there's too many things of value that you're really going to take from from what this team can be at full strength. We haven't seen it since Brooklyn. So you got to take just little things here and there. Well, truthfully, we, we aren't going to take much at all from the Cavaliers game, and we also aren't going to talk about that. So the, there was it, a game that happened. I, the Bucks I, lost. Yeah. They lost 119-90. The Valley Sports Wisconsin broadcast cut several times to a, a collection of folks watching the women's national championship game in the lobby. And that was that was some of the most thrilling parts of the broadcast, and that tells you all you need to know about that game. So we're we're going to move on and, and skip that game. Apologies if you sat through it all, and we're hoping for in in depth analysis. Um, check out Gabe's extended recap on Brew if you're looking <laughs> for that. <laughs> we're not going to talk about it here. All right, we're going to go to a quick ad break. On the other side of this, we'll do our miscellaneous topics and close it out. So stay tuned. All right, we're back. Kyle, take it away for rapid fire. Yep. All right. So the first question with the Spider-Man No Way Home being released, I'm not watching it. So don't worry. That's not going to be in my film review for at least another month. I'll give everyone a month. Um, which <laughs> Spider-Man, if you guys watched it, which one do you prefer? Prefer Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield or Tom Holland? Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire. Interesting. I, I, I think I have to see No Way Home, but I'm slightly leaning Tobey Maguire, but Tom Holland could easily pass him, depending on how this goes. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad no one picked Andrew Garfield. All right. Um, <laughs> is there a Christmas snack or dessert that you always have, like, every year at Christmas? Or that you're that growing up you always had? I don't know if it's a snack, but for Christmas Eve, we always make fondue. That's like our, I guess that's a snack. So we, we almost always have that on Christmas Eve. So that's like my Christmas thing. Crockpot meatballs, the barbecue Ooh. meatballs in the crockpot. That's a go-to. Easy to make. That's 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 a pro tip too for, for people who are not uh, culinarily inclined. Um, make barbecue meatballs to bring to a Christmas party. Easy, low effort. And they'll be gone in like 30 minutes. So, uh, and you'll look like a hero, and that you actually know what you're doing in a kitchen. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a go-to. That is good to know. I, w- I might have to do that in the future. Normally, I'm the one that just brings dessert. So, I think mine mine was always just like a ham. We always had a ham, whether mm-hmm. it was kind of it started as a breakfast and then it just kept going as a dinner. So that's what we always did. All right. Was there is there a gift that you want this year that you really really want? If you had to put a Christmas list, this is the first thing you're putting. I'm terrible at Christmas gift lists. Now it's like so depressing as an adult to put together a Christmas list because I, I like I don't 
I, I, I used to put like video games or whatever. I don't have time to play video games right now. And I, I can't, I can't like think of material things outside of genuinely like socks or undershirts <laughs> or like, like those are the things I want now. It is really depressing. So I, I didn't even give my wife a list. I didn't give my parents a list. I just make them guess. The best I could do is maybe a book, like a, a, a book that I might want that, and I, I can't even pin one down. So it's, it's, it's depressing. And I, I'm sorry. I, I love Christmas though, but I just don't have a good, <laughs> good, good list. Adam, don't be ashamed of your, your love for socks as a gift. Everyone shits on socks as a gift. If you get a good pair of cushioned wool socks, mm-hmm. like that's a game changer, right? Like Thank foot comfort you. is a one in, don't don't be ashamed of your of your love of socks for gifts. All right, it's a good gift. Um, for me, so I just bought a house. I've been in it for a little over a month now. So for me, I have a laundry list of of DIY projects that I want to do, uh, and that I, I'm sure to somehow screw up. But um, I definitely a miter saw. Um, yep, that is and that is something i 100 percent need if i want to do some of the projects that that i have on my list around here yeah that it we have a miter saw and it has helped us when we redid our bathroom and kitchen it yep. was huge so i definitely 10 out of 10 would recommend that for me i have a ps5 i am i am i have no shame asking my parents to get me a ps5 for christmas i know they're not <laughs> going to buy it i know they're not going to but on the one chance that they do so i you don't I'm get what you don't ask for, for. right I, I mean, it's going to be one of those where if I find it available, I'll buy it myself. But why not just see if they'll just buy it for me? But I always have a soccer jersey. I always have sneakers. I always have, yeah, socks as well and sweatshirts and, and sweaters. So, yeah, let's throw a PS5 and see what happens. But, all right, right now, Jordan Wara, per 36 minutes, is he over or under 15 points per 36? I'm going to go under. Over. Under, barely. 14.8. Oh, my God. Huh. Which is slightly lower than what he had last year. Last year at 22.5 uh, per 36. Yeah. But I think that was also because he had more games yeah. where it was just yeah. him kind of taking all the shots. So. Interesting. Hmm. And then final question. Um, the Matrix. Were you a fan of it? Yes or no? And are you going to see the new movie? I did like The Matrix. I don't remember the sequels as well, but I remember liking the matrix and I remember liking like the matrix video games. Um, I don't know why, but yes, I am excited to see the the sequel. I think partially because it's on, um, it'll be on HBO max. So I can just watch it at home. Like I won't have to go to a theater or anything, which I, I, I like that. I'll be able to watch a matrix movie just like at my house. I've never seen an entire matrix movie start to finish. I'm ashamed by this. And, uh, I think this, uh, the new movie gives me excuse to revisit that. And, uh, yeah. So I, I heard nothing but great things. I don't know a single person who does not like the matrix who's seen it. So, uh, hopefully I can join that group. All right. Yeah. I watched the first one. I know I watched the others. I just have no memory, but I, I think I'm going to, I'll eventually watch. I'll definitely, get around to it but as of right now yeah those are all the rapid fire questions that i have all right rapid fire is complete but we're gonna leave it with kyle who's got a who's got another christmas movie film review for us yep i, I no rom-com this time so 
don't worry, everyone. It was not a rom-com. <laughs> Figured let's do the last uh, Christmas one. Home Alone 2. Um, the much presented sequel to Home Alone. I, I I just watched it recently, which is why I had it. And I don't know how this could... It's one thing when you forget when you have Home Alone 1. Like how that happens. It's one thing. But when you screw it up twice... <laughs> I don't know. This is just neglectful parenting. Like, I don't know how the child services wasn't called on this family. You got to be kidding me. You oversleep for your vacation. You have to rush to the airport. You lose your kid. Like, how does that you can't? How does that all that happen? It doesn't line up. And so then now you have this kid walk around New York. It's the same shenanigans happen. You know, it's the usual home alone formula, which is good. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that formula. It's just funny. And my biggest thought was, how does this happen a second time? You got to be kidding me, guys. You you cannot let this happen a second time with this child. I would have had one person just on him the whole time. Like, he is, he's old enough where, yes, you can maybe let him be a little independent. But he's still, like, young enough where... Maybe having a leash wouldn't have been the worst idea for this. Situation. So <laughs> it was fun. I enjoyed it, though. It, it, it is a good movie. It's not as good as the first Home Alone, obviously, but there's nothing wrong with it. So I give it a 7.5 out of 10. All right. That's pretty good. 7.5 out of 10. Uh, Sean, does your family have any? I think we talked about this last week. Does your family have any Christmas movies that you watch every year? Oh, uh, when I was growing up, favorites? We, really, we really didn't growing up. But now... The two movies that I've been most excited to uh, show my little guy is um, The Grinch, the original Grinch, uh, not the CGI one, um, and Elf. Elf is more for me and the wife, but uh, The Grinch is definitely one that we've that we've put on a couple different times, and now he knows... He knows the Grinch when the Grinch comes out on TV, points and says Grinch, which is cool. And the more you watch that movie, the more and the older you get, the more references that you get that are not for kids that just make it even better. So uh, Grinch is a big one. I was actually having the conversation with my wife the other day. I'm not kidding you. Jim Carrey deserved a nomination for an Oscar for that movie. Like, I, I don't care that it's a Christmas movie. Like he a hundred percent went full method and deserved it as much as Heath Ledger for the Joker. Like tell me another time that a guy got lost in a role as much as that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan. So yeah, those are the two go-tos. Those are great options. The Grinch is my favorite movie. And we just put on elf earlier this morning because nice. I didn't know what to put for the Sterling. And I was like, I'm not playing Mickey Mouse clubhouse after a whole Mickey Mouse party. We're going to put on something else. And we went with elf and he, actually was paying attention for like 30 minutes which is probably a record so but two great two great movies oh those are good we uh we always watch it's a wonderful life we're very traditionalist my wife hates it she's not looking forward to it um but she'll she has to watch it so um should be a fun christmas eve at, at the house all right let's move on to predictions three games this week three days off the other thing we touched on there couldn't have been a worse week for the Bucks to be down so many players than having five games in seven days. It was it was nuts. So they, they only have three this week. Another back-to-back, of course, home road, uh, versus the Rockets on Wednesday, at Dallas on Thursday, and then against the Celtics on Saturday, of course, the Christmas Day game. Kyle, what's your prediction for this week? I'm going to say one and two just because I don't know. I doubt any of the players in the health and safety protocol will be back. Um, 
I just don't know. With the rest, that should help them, at least against the Rockets. I, I'm going to go one and two just because I, I feel as though there's still going to be another Bucks player or two that ends up in the health and safety protocol, which will then cause further con- further concern. So uh, they'll win one of these games. I don't know which one. Don't ask me which one. They'll win one of these games, though. What do you guys think, Sean? I'm not getting my hopes up for any of the three. I think the the lineup you saw against Cleveland, get used to it. I do. I think if if I'm the team, I target. I, I I'm I'm holding both, regardless of what's going on with Drew. I'm holding both Drew and Chris out until Giannis comes back. I don't see the point right now. Every team is dealing with this. So how much movement and shuffling is there going to be in the standings based on rolling out this lineup and getting a look at some guys who, you know, you might need to evaluate whether or not they're NBA players or if they can be a part of your playoff rotation. So use this time to do that. You know, just eat it three in a row. It's, I mean, it's What would that be five at that point? That's uncharted territory. It's a little rough, but just, I would say to Bucks fans, just settle in. Um, Hopefully, I, hopefully that Christmas Day game can be. I don't know if Giannis will be out of pro calls at that point, but hopefully that can be big three back on the court together, and this team can kind of start to gather some momentum going into next year. That would be that would be great. I'm going to go one and two. We'll see. I don't know. Like Kyle said, I don't know which one. I mean, half of Dallas could be without players. Boston could be without players. It's like impossible to predict what any lineup is going to look like right now. There's like double digit players entering health and safety protocols. So I'm going to go one and two. But, um, you know, we'll see. So just stay tuned. It's a long season. It's the middle of the regular season. Hopefully we'll be able to get through this. And um, if nothing else, make sure you stay safe at home. Uh, hopefully everyone is is doing okay and they can enjoy the holidays. We're going to be off next week. Take the holidays off. Enjoy the time with our family. But in the meantime, we'll still have continuing coverage on brewhoop.com. Feel free to share the podcast with your friends. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. And thanks, of course, to Sean for filling in for Riley this week. Thanks, guys. No problem.